welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. I'm going to be talking about church this morning. That's a novel thing to talk about in church, isn't it? Some of you might be familiar, I kind of adapted some of the, this, this series that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks on the church from the Purpose Driven Church. Some of you might be familiar with that, maybe you haven't. It's very well known, written by Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in America and some great insights and understanding into the purposes of the church. We're going to be looking at, I guess this from the perspective this morning, about why we go to church. I was looking up some statistics for Australia and from the last census, which I know was nearly five years ago now, but sort of things changed a little bit, but not too much. Around the last census in 2016, there was something like approximately 1.8 million people that go to church at least sometimes, sort of at least somewhat semi-regularly, more than just like, you know, on Christmas or something like that. And so it kind of... Uh, I don't know about you, I, I mean, I, w- I wish that number was a lot higher, it would be great if it was higher and, and I guess that's part of our goal and, and what we would like to see as Christians and as believers is that more, more people attending church but it still kind of seems like a fair number, particularly in a country that uh, seems increasingly secular and, uh, and, and we see an inc- incredible rise in the the number of people that are indicating that they have no religion or no faith. Around 50 years ago, something like 88% of the population identified themselves, I think somewhere in that vicinity. I'm quoting that from memory, I don't have it written down, so if I'm wrong, please forgive me. But something like 88% of people identified, uh, or around 90%, uh, as being Christian. And uh, at the last census, there was something like 52% that identified as, as being Christian. Now, in some ways, that's probably a reflection of reality. It's just becoming a little bit more acceptable to not identify as Christian when you're not. And I think probably uh, there was a significant portion, perhaps, or I I suspect there was a significant portion that were perhaps Christian in name only, but really didn't have much of a relationship with Jesus. And so in some ways, we kind of go... There's a little bit of that reflected there, but, but I guess one of the questions that we ask with so many people going to a church every week, you guys obviously are here this morning, which is fantastic. You got up, you got out of bed, you overcame whatever obstacles that you needed to overcome to be here this morning. But why is church important? This is one of the questions I want to talk about this morning. Why is coming to church here on a Sunday morning better than having an extra day to sleep in? or, you know, an, an extra, a bit of extra free time to do some gardening or, you know, go camping or, you know, whatever it is that you like to do on free weekends. I don't know. <laughs> People always seem to, to kind of, do, especially long weekends, we always seem to find lots of things to do on long weekends, don't we? But what, what is it that, uh, that is important about church? What would you say if someone asked you why you go to church? Now, you're, obviously, your, your first instinctive response would be because the sermon is <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Amazing preaching, but uh, um, uh, what, what, what would you say? Maybe you love the, the worship and the time when you just sense the presence of God. Maybe it's just 
that, that chance of being able to connect and maybe it's a bit of a kind of a social connection for some people. I suspect that there'd probably be a, a lot of people not here this morning, obviously, but a lot of people who attend churches around Australia and around the world who would probably struggle to think of why they might go to a church. Some people who are in churches are there because it's a habit, because it's just like a routine, it's a regular thing. Sometimes they're there because of guilt or obligation, family obligations or duties. Probably a few Sundays when I was a kid that uh, I was there because my dad was the pastor and I didn't get a choice. (laughs) Not that my children ever feel that way, obviously. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what the church is, why it exists, and and some of the the benefits and blessings that come to, to you and to your family when you commit to being part of a local church. Firstly, I want to talk about what church is. So I, I guess what church is not? And probably some of you, you'd be like, you'd be straight, you could probably just about answer this question for me. Church is not the building. When New Testament talks about church, it is not talking about a building. Church buildings essentially didn't exist in, in the book of Acts, did they? It was meeting in the, the courtyard of the temple or it was meeting in somebody's home or it was outside the city near a, a river or you know they'd meet wherever there was a space to meet but often it was illegal often it was unpopular often it was dangerous to be a christian and so you didn't want to set up a building and announce your presence when it was against the law or your your life was in danger if people found out that you were a christian and that that is still the case in some parts of the world today in countries like that we don't see wonderful buildings like this with big signposts out the front saying hey we're so-and-so christian church or they'd be probably burned to the ground and everybody would get arrested. So they they meet secretly, they meet underground, they meet in homes. And a lot of the time, that was a little bit like what the church was like in some of the early days. So the church is, is, is not the building. Sometimes we refer to this as the church, don't we? Because it's the place where the church meets. And sometimes that's just a little bit of a, a language thing that makes it a little bit easier for us. But we do need to have that understanding that the church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is not an institution. (laughs) It's not supposed to be. Uh, A church is not a place that I go to or an event that I attend. What we are doing here this morning is not church. It's not the church. It is the church gathering together and being the church. But there are also other ways that we can do that too, aren't there? The church is, it, it is a spiritual family that I belong to. The church is our spiritual family. The church is the, the men and women and young people and kids that make up part of the family of God. Uh, let's look at this verse in Acts chapter 2. When we're talking about the church, it's, it's really important to look at I guess, the, the birth and the foundation of the church and, and what Scripture says about that. And I've just kind of got a, a little bit of a, just a, a highlighted bit here just for the sake of uh, brevity, but uh, Acts 2, 41 and 42 and a little bit of 46 says this, says, those who believed were baptized and added to the church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They worshipped together at the temple each day 
how would you go if you had church every day? <laughs> I wonder how many times we'd attend. <laughs> they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So in, in one sense, we could define the church as a group of baptised believers who've joined together in a commitment to help each other fulfil God's purposes for their lives. And some of those kind of purposes we see there, but we'll talk about those a little bit more. Now, sometimes I hear people say, oh, well, I'm part of the, you know, God's church, kind of capital C, God's, you know, because I'm a child of God, I don't have to attend a local church. Now, I absolutely believe that, you know, if you are uh, have given your heart to Jesus, if you've um, accepted Him as your Lord and Saviour, you are part of God's family whether you are attending a local church or not, absolutely agree. But I also want to, I encourage people that, uh, and you might have seen on that first slide, that I guess part of the title of the message this morning is, why you absolutely need a church family. And part of this is, is because the local church is how we connect. The local church is actually part of how, it's all while well, I'm part of the global church, but where do you serve? Where do you connect? Where are you in relationship? Where are you in fellowship? Because if you're not doing those things, you're not doing what the church was designed to do. Does that make sense? So one of the, one of the key purposes and one of the things that we read that the early believers devoted themselves to was fellowship. Now, we kind of see fellowship as kind of something that's not particularly spiritual a lot of the time, don't we? Sometimes we're not even sure exactly what fellowship means because it's not a common word that we use unless you're like uh, a doctor or, I don't know, a, a fellow or something. It's kind of a bit of an archaic sort of word, isn't it? But it really just means interacting, relating to one another. Like hanging out, having a coffee, this is why we sort of make an effort to put on uh, morning tea and, and coffee and why we bought a fancy coffee machine and, and things like that because fellowship uh, is, is a really important part of what we do as the church. Now obviously that has to be more than just, you know, like hanging around for 15 minutes to, to have my coffee before I get to go home, but fellowship is kind of really about how we relate to one another, about interacting with one another and it's one of the really important kind of things, if, if you like, I'll just quick, the, the five purposes that we're going to be looking at uh, of the church are worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry and mission or, or you, sometimes we refer to mission as evangelism, sharing the gospel. So we're going to be talking about those kind of things and how Scripture identifies those as being the most important things, the, the reason that God established the church and what He calls us to do as we exist as the local church here and now. So I want to, the, these next few points, essentially, I want to, I guess, answer this question, why is the church the most important group of people on earth? Now, you might not have realised that it is, but the church is the most important group of people on earth. Did you know that? Let's have a look at... Oh, so the first point here, number one, the church is 
the most important group on earth because it is God's family. The church is God's family. The church is God's sons and daughters. The church, as we talked about before, the church is people. The church is you and me. It's, it's every believer. It's the assembly. You were born, when you were born, um, a long time ago for some of you, you were born into the human race and you were born into an earthly family. But when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were born again. Scripture talks about being reborn, a, a rebirth into God's family. And, uh, and so we kind of have this uh, sense in which, we're, you know, often we'll, you'll hear people talk about uh, other Christians as being brothers and sisters in Scripture. When you read the New Testament, often it's addressed to the, the brothers and sisters at so-and-so a place or, you know, that sort of thing. Or they talk about, you know, he says, dear, finally, Paul is often like, finally, dear brothers, and then writes another three chapters. But <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But, but we are God's family. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Christ. This is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. Ephesians 2 verse 19, so it says, So now you Gentiles, that's anyone who's not Jewish, so that's kind of probably a lot of us here today, uh, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens, along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. So we are, the, the church is important because it is God's family. Number two, the church is the reason God created the universe. I don't know that I've ever really thought about that idea very much before. I don't, have you ever thought about that very much before? Well, we often don't think about, we talk about that we believe God created the universe we talk about how God loves us and wants a relationship with us, but we don't often put those two things together, do we? But if you kind of put those two together, this is kind of the logical conclusion, isn't it? God created everything and He wants a relationship with us. We, we were not, you were not an accident. You're not just like a happy thing that, that happened, God created the universe and all of a sudden people sprang out and He thought, oh, they look pretty cool. You know, you, you have thought about before God even began the act of creation. God wanted a family. Uh, God, God created the universe and everything in it so that His children, His people, His church could exist with Him forever. Loving Him and being loved by Him. Ephesians chapter 1 says, uh, verse 4 and 5 says, Even before He made the world, God loved us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't quite understand how that works, but I just take it on faith because the Bible says it, all right? So, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. So the church is important because it's God's family, because it's the reason that God created the universe. Number three, the church is God's agent on earth for His eternal purposes. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom 
in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's plan is for his church to demonstrate who he is to heaven and earth. That's a little bit of a scary kind of responsibility, isn't it? When people look at the church, they're supposed to see how awesome God is. I'm not sure that we always quite live up to that. Um, But there ought to be a a dimension, and I I believe that there is a dimension in which, for for its flaws, for its imperfections, for its human weaknesses, because God operates through us as people, that there is an element of God's Spirit and God's divine power that is at work in the church of God. I hope that you see that. There is, a, there is an element of the divine, there is an element of God's presence, that God is present with us when we gather together, when we worship, when we serve, when we do ministry, when we share the gospel, when we exist in, in relationship and fellowship with one another, when we, when we are being the church with each other, God exists there in that space. God chooses to work in and through His people. Now, sometimes I struggle to understand why He does that, because I know how flawed I am. And sometimes I think if I were in God's shoes, I might be more inclined to want to act directly in the world rather than trusting human people to be my representatives. (laughs) But God, God chooses to do this, to bring glory to Himself. God chooses to use transformed lives and people who are turned around and, uh, and, and made new and, uh, you know, to, to bring glory to Him. The Apostle Paul talks about how he was the, the chief of sinners, he was persecuting the church and, and actively working against God, but God used even him to demonstrate how much grace he has. And he says, if, if I can stand up and, 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 and make myself vulnerable and show all of you my weaknesses and my flaws, then that'll be awesome because then you'll see how good God is. You'll see how forgiving God is. You'll see how much mercy God has when He takes even someone who was as bad as I was and uses them for His goodness and His kingdom and His glory. God wants His church. God established His church to, to be His hands and His feet, to be His voice, to be, uh, you know, people who are preaching the good news and making disciples and, and loving people and doing good and making this world just a little bit more like God's kingdom. Number four, the church is the only group of people that Jesus died for. <laughs> and it's saying, let me explain this. Jesus died for his church. Ephesians 5:25-27 says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault. Now obviously we know that Christ died for any who would receive him. His forgiveness is for any who would, be, who, who would be willing to call on His name and accept, who, you know, 
accept his forgiveness and, and declare him as, as Lord and Saviour. But once, when, when we do that, it, you know, Christ died so that his church could be established, so that we could be brought into the family of God and become the church. You understand what I mean? How do you know how much something is worth? What makes one rock more valuable than another rock? Yeah, maybe the shininess, <laughs> the sparkliness. You know, what makes one thing worth, what makes one car worth, you know, half a million dollars and another car worth $3,000? Kind of, even more basic than that, that some, you can determine something's worth by how much someone is willing to pay for it. If nobody's willing to pay for it, you'll lower the price. We all see that like in the housing market, right? When there's no buyers, um, like, you know, it's kind of, there's there's no demand, nobody wants to pay that much to live in Wyala, the prices go down, right? And then other things happen and people are like, oh, I've got to live in Wyala, Wyala's the best place on earth and I've just got to be there right now, give me a house, I'll pay whatever, Um, and then prices go up. (laughs) That's realistic, isn't it? That's what people say. Yeah, all right. So you, you can tell how much something is worth by how much someone is willing to pay for it. Jesus didn't give his life for the Rotary Club. That doesn't mean it has no value or doesn't do anything good, but it means it has less value than the church in God's eyes. Jesus didn't die for Doctors Without Borders. Great organisation, doing great stuff. Don't get me wrong, but Jesus didn't die for that organisation. Jesus died for his church. God values the church more highly than he values any charitable organisation, more highly than he values any government, more highly than he values any educational institution, more highly than he values any program, more highly than anything. The church is valuable to God. All right, number five, if you're taking notes. The church is the only organisation on earth that will last forever. None of the others will. Now, you might be glad about that. Maybe not. McDonald's will not last forever. (laughs) KFC, you reckon? No, sorry, definitely not. Microsoft will not last forever. Everyone says, woohoo! Apple won't last forever. Kmart won't last forever. No organisation, no business, no charity, no program on earth will last forever other than the church. The church is the only organisation on earth. First John 2 verse 17, let me show you here. It says, And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. Sorry, that includes KFC right there. <laughs> but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So us, as God's children, who delight the Lord, who are the apple of His eye, who who He loves and cares for, we please Him. Did you know that you please God? You do. Even sometimes when you don't feel like you're being very pleasing to God, God still takes delight in you because you're His son or His daughter. But everything else is fading away. 
but we, his people, his church, will last forever. Ephesians 3.21 says, Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Number six, only the church will ultimately win against evil. How many of us know this? How many of you know that there are organisations out there that are doing great stuff, but in a way it's kind of really treating the symptom and not the disease itself? You can feed someone, you can put clothes on their back, you can give them a roof over their head, you can give them shelter, but you cannot take evil out of the world without the church. Because the church is the organization, the church are the people that God works through, that Christ works through. And, and, and we have that responsibility of bringing Christ to people who is the, the cure for the disease of sin, of evil. Evil always finds a way to, to spring up, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever found as, as much as they. Um, uh, I've seen, I can't remember, um, there's a lot of. I, I'm really into reading science fiction kind of stuff. Some of you know that about me. Some of you, I've talked about Star Trek before in sermons and, and all kinds of things, so um, that's one of my things that I'm dealing with, all right? If you, but, but one of the... the I, I love to read the kind of science fiction that's kind of like speculative about, you know, what the world could look like in like, you know, 500 years' time. And one of the common themes that runs through this kind of science fiction, and I think it indicates a bit of how we understand human nature, they come up with all these wonderful ways. Who's seen Minority Report? A few of you have. It's kind of like this thing where they invent a way to work out when a crime is going to be committed before it happens. And so then they can stop the crime from happening in the first place. And it's like, no matter how good we get at, you know, trying to prevent crime, it's like the criminals always come up with a way to work around it. <laughs> you know, no matter how good you get at trying to, uh, you know, build your, your computer firewall, the hackers always find a way to get through. You know, it's, it's kind of like this, this continual battle of, you know, attack and defence and all that kind of stuff. But, but evil exists in our world. Sin exists in our world. And there'll always be kind of this struggle. And the only organisation that has the answer, the, the only group of people that have an answer to the problem of sin is the church. Jesus declared that the church would ultimately conquer the power of evil, that the church would ultimately conquer sin, ultimately conquer the work of the enemy. Jesus declared that he would build his church in Matthew chapter 16. He was talking to the Apostle Peter and he says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is in the business of building churches. Jesus is invested into church. He's not interested in building up the reputation of, of public figures. He's not interested in my reputation or in your reputation. He's not interested in nations. He's not interested in governments. He's not interested in royal families. That makes two of us. Um, <laughs> he's not interested in, in sporting clubs, not even the crows. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm not power either, sorry. <laughs> 
whatever whatever flavour your, your persuasion is, but um, you know he's he's not interested in building sports clubs. Jesus is in the business of building the church. Jesus declared it. He said, "I will build my church." Now it doesn't always feel like the church is winning, does it? it? Doesn't always feel like the church has a lot of power over evil in our world. Sometimes you know we kind of see small victories here or there, but when we read about abortion bills, when we read about um, euthanasia legislation, when we read about gender identity legislation, when we read about kind of all kinds of things, it seems like the the values and the morals of our, our world are kind of on a degenerative sort of slope, you know, kind of steadily getting worse and worse and that, um, you know, we, we read about all kinds of things happening around the world, wars and dictators and, and tyrannical regimes and, and murders and, and things, um, it doesn't necessarily always feel like evil is being defeated. But here's the thing, the game isn't over yet. You know, we're not at the end yet. And God, the one who knows the future has declared that ultimately the church will be victorious. With Christ at its head, the church, which is the body of Christ, will be victorious over sin and over evil. And one day it'll all be destroyed. It'll all be put away. It'll be gone. There will be no more tears. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more crime. There'll be no more... um, evil there'll be no more people taking advantage or abusing one another ultimately the church wins against evil number seven the church is important because it's the only group big enough to solve global problems you know it's reported that there's something like around the world there is something in the vicinity of two billion christians that's a big number. That's more than the population of any nation in the world. There's a lot of people. Um, the church of God crosses borders. The church of God crosses cultural and language barriers. The church of God crosses generational barriers. It isn't bound by politicians or governments. Do you know what, here's, here's one of the things that I love about the church. The church has the, the, the wealthiest financial backer in history. <laughs> you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's our, pro, our provider, he's the one who can supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's, you know... Whatever his church needs, he is in the business of resourcing and building and financing and providing for his church. That makes a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not everything, obviously. It's not the be-all and end-all, but you know, it is good to know that we have a backer who's got deep pockets. And when his church has a need, he provides and he meets it. The church has incredible potential now, sometimes it's been underutilized, admittedly. Sometimes we don't necessarily fulfill all of that potential that we have. 
as a, as a global organisation. <laughs> but the church has incredible uh, influence and an ability to impact our world. And when it comes to dealing with some of the problems in our world, there, there's no nation government, uh, you know, there's no political leader or, you know, charity that has enough um, resources to deal with some of the problems that our world faces. Ephesians 3.20, fantastic verse. By His mighty power at work within us, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. How, how encouraging is that verse of Scripture? Whatever you need, whatever you can dream up, whatever you can think of to ask for, God is able to do how much more? Infinitely more. That's quite a lot really, isn't it? <laughs> now, I can imagine quite a lot. <laughs> I, can, I can think of quite a lot to ask for. And here God declares, because of His mighty power at work within us, that's not even like a blip on the radar for Him. That's pretty good. All right. The greatest privilege in life is to be part of God's church. It is an incredible privilege to be part of God's church, to be part of God's family. You have been chosen to be in the family of the Creator, of the King. You know, forget being married off to some Danish prince. Like, you've, <laughs> you, you've been ushered into the family of the king of every nation. And not just every nation, but the one who hung stars in their places and called them by name. Stars that we've not even come close to discovering because the universe that he created and holds in the palm of his hand is so vast that we do not have the capacity to discover it all. This is the family, this is the king who's chosen you. But we've also been given this amazing privilege of actually having all the fullness of God living in us. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? As the church... God lives in us. Now, we t yes, Jesus dwells within us also as individuals. He inhabits us through His Spirit. But it also talks, in this passage of Scripture talks about us as the church, being the, the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. That's not this building or any other building. It's us as a collective group of people, as His church. Okay, so church... Is not something that I go to. Church is not an event that I attend. But what does it mean? We started off, and you saw on that first slide we had this morning that we talked about being a, a purpose-driven church. And just really quickly, just want to explain this because we're going to touch on this a little bit more. Maybe you've heard that term. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard it used positively or negatively. I don't know. Um, but this is what I mean when I say purpose-driven church. Okay, the word drive. Uh, or driven means to, to guide, to control or direct. And the things that we mentioned earlier, 
worshipping, being disciples, uh, fellowship, ministry, mission. These are the things that are supposed to drive us or guide us or motivate us or, you know, they're, they're supposed to be the things that um, uh, help us to stay on track as a church. There can be a lot of things that drive churches. And I've seen churches that are personality-driven. You can tell when a church is personality-driven, you know, essentially functions around uh, a person because the, the, the key question that you hear is, what does the leader want? Um, and it kind of, you know, and often you see when, when you have this kind of church, even sometimes very large churches, they're really built around a personality or a person. When that person um, resigns or dies or becomes discredited, um, often that, that church really struggles to survive. Um, churches can be tradition driven. And if you're in a church and you hear the words, we've always done it that way. Uh, then you know that you're probably being fairly heavily tradition-driven. Right? Church can be finance-driven. If a church is finance-driven, you'll hear, how much does it cost? Can we afford it? All right? Churches can be program-driven. Some churches, they've just got programs every day of the week, you know, men's programs, women's programs, children's programs, none of those things are bad, but when you've got when you're relying on that, the programs for this and that and everything under the sun. Jesus didn't say, I have come that you might have meetings. <laughs> what did He say? I've come that you might have life, abundant life, full life. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be a church that is kind of driven by anything other than God's purpose for us. I don't want to be a church that is guilt-driven. I don't want to be a church that is fear-driven. Some of the benefits of belonging to a purpose-driven church, there's five, I'm going to really quickly skim over them, it'll help me focus on God. It's really easy to get distracted sometimes, isn't it, from our walk with God. It's really easy to get caught up, to get busy. Um, you know, suddenly a few weeks have gone by and I was too tired or I was working too much or this or that or I had to do this, had to fix that and, and our, our spiritual, we start feeling spiritually dry and disconnected and um, and it gets harder to get back into it uh, in terms of our relationship with God. And so being part of a purpose-driven church can help me focus, stay focused on God. Number two, a church family uh, will help me face life's problems. It is really good at times to know that we are not alone. It is really helpful at times to know that there are people who stand with me when life is tough when I've made a mistake, that there's not condemnation and judgment, but there's grace and forgiveness and restoration. It's really helpful sometimes when I feel like, when I'm, when I'm discouraged, when I feel like giving up, that there'll be somebody there to speak into my life, to encourage me and to help me get back on my feet and that maybe there's an opportunity that I can do that for someone else too. Number three, it will help me fortify my faith. Part of what we, part of our goal, I guess, as, as Christians and as believers is to, to grow in our faith, to get stronger, to develop. Fortify means to, to reinforce, to make stronger. We think of, you know, when you used to, you know, the, the, the castles, the forts of the old days, 
you know they were kind of defensive positions and they would build war strong walls and and they would fortify those walls and part of that is about our faith and how strong we are and how ready or, or what capacity we have to face challenges and things that come up what am i standing on what do i run to and a church family can help me get stronger and grow in my faith number four church family can help me find my place in the world to make a difference sometimes you know, we're here for a purpose we're not here by accident we're here um, there's, there's, when we stand before God one day uh, we believe that everyone's going to stand before God and there's going to be two questions essentially that we're going to get asked question one is that God is going to ask us is how did you respond to my son Jesus how did you respond to Jesus and I hope that all of you are going to say, um, He's my King, He's my Lord, He's my Saviour. Well, the second question is going to be, what did you do with what I gave you? And this is a question about, about stewardship, about how you're spending your life. There's a song they play a lot on the radio, on the Vision Radio at the moment, um, called Spend a Life. And he sings, show me how to spend a life. Show me the things that are worth investing the limited amount of time and days and weeks and months and years that I have to do something that is worthwhile that will make a difference. And lastly, church family will help me fulfill my life mission. God has a unique uh, purpose and a plan for you, things that you can do that nobody else can. And we want to be able to help you and encourage you to discover those um, and, and live those. All right, I've talked enough. Let me pray. Um, I hope that's been an encouragement to you this morning, but let's pray together quickly as the music team comes back up to close our service this morning. Father God, we thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be called and, and adopted into your family as sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be a part of uh, your church that has the, the capacity to, to shape our world, to change nations, to transform lives. Father, we, we thank you for this church family. And we thank you for those that are here today, those who couldn't be here but are part of this family, Lord, from all different uh, backgrounds, cultural um, and, and otherwise, that, that make up who we are today. Father, we thank you for... Um, bringing us together as a family to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to help each other to grow, to help each other discover your purposes for our life. Lord, we give you thanks and we ask that as we continue to study this topic, Lord, that you would be speaking to us by your Spirit, that you would be showing us um, areas that we need to give some attention to, maybe areas that, that we need to do better, um, but things that, that you're wanting to call us to as a church to impact our city and our nation for the name of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.